Okay, Angie. Thank you very much for asking me to come and share today. And it's lovely to see so many people here and uh, from all over, all over. There's even a couple of Irish people there as well. But anyway, my name is Don, I'm an alcoholic. And I've been around quite a while. Uh, I'll just start at the beginning slightly. Uh, <clears throat> when I, I was born in Oma and my mother and father decided when I got to about 16, 17, that I'd, uh, I was to follow and go to university. I went up to Belfast Queen's University and I lasted uh, three weeks. I was to be a doctor. My sisters were in the medical business and I was to be a doctor. So I picked up the first drink with the freedom of being away from home. And before long, I was uh, <clears throat> making some crazy decisions. And one of them was I went down on the Saturday morning and I got on the boat to Liverpool. And all I had with me was a £3.50 and an alarm clock and a duffel coat. And when I got there, I looked up a friend of mine, put me up for a while and I moved to Halifax in Yorkshire. And the drinking took off from there. And eventually, <clears throat> after a long journey of drinking, trouble, a lot of trouble, uh, I walked, started walking on the wild side of life. It took me to prisons all over, all over England and Berlin and Glasgow and everywhere. And eventually, in uh, <clears throat> the 17th of January in 1982, I ended up sitting in a park in Leeds. The only thing I had left then was a small little hatchet in my pocket to keep the other guys away and a half bottle of wine. I had the long beard, I had all the qualifications to be in the park. I sat there and I looked and I remember thinking, I think I'll go to that Alcoholics Anonymous and I'll be all right. I didn't think or I didn't say out loud, I might be all right. I didn't say, I hope I'm all right. I remember saying, I think, I'm, I think I'll be all right. I will be all right. So I started me drifting in, out, in, out, previous to that, previous to the January the 17th. I was in and out of AA, in and out of, I had four months six months, eight months, 10 months, a year and a day, two years, seven months. And that day on the 17th of January, 1982 was my last drink. Now I'm not telling you I'm 39 years of age. No, I'm not telling you that to impress anybody here. But when I look in the mirror today, it sure impresses me. And I think to myself, bloody hell's fire, what a journey. I walked into the meeting, <clears throat> there I was with my flared trousers, my Cuban heels, and uh, my flowery shirt. And of course, everybody knew me at that time. And here he goes again, here he comes again, here he comes. 
and they were all pleased to see me. But that day, they were extra pleased to see me. And I only found out later why, because the flared trousers and the Cuban heels had all gone out about five years before, and nobody had told me. And there I was thinking I was looking all smart and back at AA. And that was the beginning, the beginning. I remember sitting in the meeting and looking up at the wall at the slogans. And I remember this long timer, he was close to me, he knew me for drifting in and out. And he says, which one are you looking at, Don? I says, I'm looking at, but for the grace of God. He says, do you know what that is, Don? He says, the grace of God is a gift of love. Through you will get by working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Remember sitting there and thinking, yeah. I said, all I need now is a God. And he just looked at me and laughed. He says, <clears throat> you won't see God in AA, but you'll see where he's been. Have a look around you. Well, I looked around and seen a lot of guys that knew me when I walked in the white side of life and they were all happy and they were dressed and they were clean. And they were all, and I thought something's happened then. Anyway, that was the beginning. What was missing from me was a sponsor. So I asked this guy, <clears throat> after a year, I asked this guy, I said, I need a sponsor. I'm a looking at him. He just looked at me and said, what? He said, I've been giving you lifts to meetings for years, he says. And you're asking me now to sponsor, he says, of course I will. I'll guide you as best I can. And he began that journey with me. And how everything changed when I sat down at a table with him in my little flat. <clears throat> I call it a flat, an apartment, a dump, a bed sitting, right in the ghetto. And I remember looking into his eyes and starting telling the truth. The truth in me was alien to me. I didn't know anybody told the truth. I had uh, been telling lies so many times. Looking into his eyes, he called him John. He's still sober. He's about 50, 50 years sober now. And I says to him, <clears throat> I started telling him <clears throat> all the stuff I'd written down about what had happened, where I was. They kept stopping me. He says, John. When you did that, how did you feel? And I sat back, would you do that today? I says, no, bloody right I wouldn't. And that is what he went through with me on my step five of all the stuff I'd written down. He wanted to know how I felt and how I was feeling today. And that was the beginning of a journey for me that was unbelievable. I followed him around everywhere he went. I sat at the front and I used to follow this, uh, the, all these guys that, you know, they're, they're long timers to me. I don't call them old timers. I don't even class myself as an old timer. I'm just a long timer. And I can remember sitting there and talking and listening and talking and talking. The working of the steps was the key to everything for me. Honesty was the key for me. For the first time in my life, I found myself telling the truth to John.
as I seen the truth to me. And he used to listen, and he used to listen. And then he would come back to me, we flat, we'd sit down, how are you getting on, Doc? Say, I'm doing good. I've met a woman in AA. Oh, you have, have you? I says, I think we're going to have a relationship. And he just looked at me and he says, Don, relationships are for adults. He says, and you certainly ain't no adult. And I said, so well, he could piss off for a kickoff. I was in love. She smiled at me in the meeting, across the meeting. Nobody, no woman in her right hand had smiled at me for about, I think, since my mother. And, uh, oh, I says to him, says, she's in the fellowship and all, you know. She says, as long as she's sober, I says, same as me. I says, uh, not long. He says, as long as she's sober. Well, three weeks. So I says, all right, right, he says. Anyway, I'll come back to that later. <clears throat> After a period of time, when it started the fog, the clearing, and the past started to become the past. And all these new friends of mine that I could tell the truth to and they would tell the truth to me and talk about the feelings and honesty that I had never experienced with anybody previously until I was a child. This man taught me something very important to me. He said to me, and this was, <clears throat> I think I was sober 10 years at Birmingham Convention. And he said to me, how are you getting on, Don? Because oh, we're all around the table as usual. I says, I'm pretty good now. And he says to me, <clears throat> what brought you to Alcoholics Anonymous, Don? I says, well, I drank a lot. It caused a lot of problems for myself. My mother disowned me seven years before I got sober. She said, police were looking for me everywhere in Ireland. And uh, she said, you've stolen me peace of mind. I said, and I carried on drinking, carried on drinking. And I said, it caused a lot of trouble and got locked up a lot and ended up in the funny farms five times. That's what got me there. And he just looked at me. <clears throat> he says, no, Don, that's not why you come to AA. He says, you're here because of your good qualities. The inbred good qualities in you is why you're sitting talking to me here in this AA meeting. Without those inbred good qualities, you would never have known what shame, guilt, or remorse was. That's what got you to AA, Don. And I thought for about the next few months after that, I was thinking about what he said. And it was so true. Because when a few of us would pull some strokes or whatever on the wild side, I would sit there in the morning with my hands in my head full of guilt, shame, and remorse for what had happened. They used to go, ah, fucking forget it, forget it. It's not, it wasn't forgetting. I couldn't forget it. And that's when I realized about the inbred good qualities in me from a child were kicking in. And all of a sudden, I found myself looking back and realizing, and all this was the beginning. 
And all them good qualities had been swallowed up with all that resentment and fear and jealousy and all that crap, self-pity shit. All that had been swallowed up. And it was blocking me from the feelings and emotions that had been that it was born with. And after that, I got to thinking about this, how right it was. And then I went on, <clears throat> I got involved in anything. Uh, I started a telephone service in Leeds and I put my hand up right away. I think it was about five months. It was the best thing ever. And there was a little room in the middle of Leeds. And my sponsor says, you, you said, get in there. He says, put your hand up. And it was only starting. Anyway, <clears throat> there was two of us in the room and this uh, other person was there, I forget her name now. And she said, the phone rang and I says, uh, here, I says, there's the phone's ringing. Uh, and she just looked at me and she says, Don, lift the receiver. You, you answer. I said, what will I say? What will I say? She just, I left the phone. There was a guy called Brian. And he says, I've got a problem, a drink. Are you Alcoholics Anonymous? Can you help? And that to me was the most amazing thing. I'm sitting in a little room in the middle of Leeds, in a little room with another member. And there is me being asked to help another human being with a drink problem, with information that I was going to be giving them a phone number, a name of a meeting, an address of a meeting, a contact from that little room that would probably save his life, his marriage, his sanity. And here was me who had walked on the wild side of life sitting doing this. The change had happened in me. The belief, that feeling, and that beginning of a love for another human being. And that was the beginning of a journey. From then on, <clears throat> I became a hospital liaison officer. And after 18 months, I realized I was no good at the job. And I went into a group with all the papers, put all the stuff at the table and it says, I can't do it. That was a bit of e deflation of ego. The first time I'd heard it then because your man said to me, oh, your ego is coming down, Don. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I can't do the job. I can't type. And I'm getting my wife to fucking type the letters to these different hospitals. And uh, it, was, it was funny, but anyway, that was the beginning. Uh, and Don, the group vice chairman, all, all the stuff that my sponsor had done, I followed. Because I just wanted to be happy. And I didn't know that happiness was a byproduct of action. But it was to find out. I started going in 12-step calls, and that was the most amazing. I seen me and so many people. And when the newcomers would come in the meeting, I just looked at their eyes, and I could see me. And that meeting, I started a meeting <coughs> in Leeds on a Friday night. And with a good, I was always a greeter at the door. And I was sitting at the door and somebody would come in. And this is what exactly happened to me when I went in that night on that Sunday. 
The guy says, how you done? Sit down now, bring me a cup of tea. And he came over and he put his hand on my shoulder and he says, you're going to be okay, Don. Now, those words were worth millions to me. You're going to be okay, Don. And every time a newcomer appeared at the Friday night meeting, since I, since I got involved in all them years ago, I have said the same thing to the newcomer that was said to me in that first meeting. And to me, it's, I have sponsees, I've just taken another sponsee on <coughs> just at the start of the pandemic. And uh, to me, that is what my primary purpose is. Before, if you ask me, Don, what's your primary purpose? No, I didn't know what it would be talking about. But my primary purpose, you know the way people search? Well, I searched and I found my primary purpose was given of myself for the benefit of another human being. Now, that was so simple. And yet I didn't know that. And that was the key for me, moving, giving of myself for the benefit of another human. Now, <clears throat> when I got on the steps, you know, the first three steps to me, well, I knew what the problem was. I knew what the solution was, but I hadn't got the courage. And then in step three, I handed my will and my life over to God of my understanding. That was an amazing turnover for me and started off from step three. For the really the first nine steps, when I think of it, they brought me from being a liar to living in the truth. From being full of fear to being full of love from being restored to sanity than being in that same insane world that I lived. And step 10 to me was a very important one. Step 10 to me is my walking about step. I do this all the time. I mostly tell myself off to stop procrastinating all type of stuff today and things like that. In step 10, when I wake up in the morning, I, I see myself as a shepherd. And all my thoughts are my sheep. And all my short thoughts, they're all dancing about, diddly dee, all my little sheep, diddly dee, diddly dee. But in the next field is a ram waiting to contaminate all my thoughts, my little sheep. So I have to be on the ball from my wake up to I go to sleep, watching out for dishonesty, jealousy, envy, fear, anger, all that shit. So you see, it all starts from my thoughts. When the trick is not to let the thought 
in. That is the trick. I can spot a mile away. Resentment shit. I can see resentments coming up my garden path with a big suitcase, but they don't get in. Because that's not what it's about for me today. In step 11, I go prayer and meditation. <clears throat> the only prayers that I used to get were in the betting shop. That's what I did. Most of my praying was in the bookies. But it's a different sort of prayer today. Praying for, for other people's well-being. Myself, it's a case of that will be done for me. But my man upstairs, he sort of decides. He gives me a little bit now and again, you see, to see how I get on. And then I sort of uh, think to myself, <clears throat> that's not working. You're being dishonest, Don. You're being dishonest, Don. Same with the gossip shit. I don't get into that gossip. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, if you, I've had instances over a long time. Now, <clears throat> when I was sober, two years and eight months, I got a phone call. My ex-wife who had divorced after 15 years, she carried on drinking. I had a little boy. Michael, I got a phone call from her daughter to say, Christine's in the hospital in York. Will you go and visit her? She's very ill. So I got me and my sponsee. He drove me over and I don't drive. And I went there. And I went to the ward. And I walked in. And Christine was in the bed. And I said to her, Christine, how are you? And she looked at me all blank. I said, you don't know me, do you? And she went, no, no. I said, it's done. We were married for 11 years. Didn't know who I was. I says, it's me, Don. So she sat for a minute in the bed and she went, Don, 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 my Don. The minute she said that, the tears went down my face and I walked out of the room. This girl had been coming to AA, getting pages of sobriety, talking at the top table for the length of time that we got together. And there she was, she didn't know who I was. She carried on drinking and the alcohol destroyed the brain. That to me was the most amazing thing. It was so sad, so sad that. <clears throat> now, just about that time, I got a phone call from my sister in Market Harbor. And she said, your mother's been over here with with me and my husband for so many years. She wants to see you, she's dying. So I got me wee man in the buggy and I headed off. And I went into this ward and this nun met me at the hospice and said, you must be the son, she should have died last night. Come in, she's waiting on you. And I walked in and my three sisters were at the bottom of the bed. 
Now, I've caused them so much misery over the years with letters from prison, psychiatric hospitals, and they were all sitting there, three of them. And I said, put me wee man on the bed, 10 months, and she got a hold of him by the hand, and she got a hold of my hand. And she looked at me, she looked at him, she looked back at me. I says, are you happy, mommy? And she said to me, my prayers have been answered. He can take me now if he wants. Now, she said, I'm tired now, son. And she lay back and closed her eyes. The whole way back in the train, all the words that came into my head was the words from my sponsor. From the early days, things beyond your wildest dreams will happen for you, Don. If you follow the program of AA and help newcomers. And I'm sitting on the train and that was going over and over and over in my head, those words. And I put a big smile on my face. To be so privileged. The most spiritual moment in my life was that. Because I can think I was to learn about spirituality. Being a spiritual person is somebody that feels inside, wanted, needed, and loved. And those moments at that bed, I felt just as my mother did, wanted, needed, and loved. So that was a happy part, then the other sad part with my ex-wife. So you see, <clears throat> the 12th step for me is giving of myself for the benefit of another alchemist or another human. To me, it's a wonderful, a wonderful, amazing program. Starting off with telling the truth. I can remember the time I couldn't look in the mirror. If I looked in the mirror, I have hit more mirrors when we fist. I've still got the marks because I hated the person in that mirror. See, today, I'm never away from the mirror. My hair's growing long and I'm giving it all this and all sorts at the mirror now. And I remember saying a few years back, people say, oh, you learn to love yourself. I said, how do you do that? How do you love yourself? Anyway, just smiled and walked away. I look in the mirror sometimes and I say, you're okay, you know. You're a good guy. You know. And then I got round to saying, and I love you too. And that was the transformation and change of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the members. <coughs> Those members that stuck by me and watched me come in and out like I do today and see them coming back and coming in, coming out and giving them the same welcome, never to forget. I don't live in the past much now. I'm I'm having all sorts of difficulties living in the future in this pandemic, I'll tell you. But there again, like everything else, it'll pass. I hope I don't pass before it finishes. 
But to me, I'm uh, one of them alcoholics that believes in prayer, meditation, prayer. I talk away to my hair prior to, in a, a lot of times. Sometimes he's not listening. He's way off with other alky somewhere else. And meditation to me is so important. Fixing my mind, meditating, fixing my mind. I was to learn that. I was to learn how to do that. But to me today, it's a wonderful fellowship. Some wonderful people. I have wonderful friends. I see a few people on here for Toronto. I went to the World Convention in 2005 in Toronto. I had the privilege of speaking at a, in the Intercontinental Hotel. There was a marathon meeting. It looked like there must have been a thousand in the meeting, one or more. And uh, I was so privileged to speak at that meeting. One week later, with my sponsee, we traveled on a Greyhound bus to Akron, Ohio. And he's taken pictures of me posing on Dr. Bob's bathroom scale. And if any of my Alki friends haven't seen that picture, I show them it whether they want to see it or not. Because that was way beyond my wildest dreams. From standing outside the off-license, <clears throat> waiting on my bottle of Strongbow Cider, to standing on Dr. Bob's bathroom scales in Akron, Ohio. And on my sponsor's words, things beyond your wildest dreams will happen for you, Don. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I don't know, I don't share very much as a rule, because I'm quite shy and naive, as you probably guess. But with that there, I will just say thank you very much. I've just looked at the watch, and it's lovely to be over there today and see all my newfound friends. So thanks a lot. <laughs>